Hello, and welcome to another episode of Saying the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 2, which is titled Let the Games Begin. The episode aired on October 3rd, 1996. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? Math is hard, isn't it? We're so close to 23 years. Um, A little bit. After a mass shooting in April that killed 35 people and wounded 23 more, the Australian government begins a gun buyback program to remove approximately 640,000 firearms from circulation, including many kinds that were outlawed in response to the killings. How un-American of them. The Tampa Bay Rays baseball team suffers a major setback to their cool factor as their stadium, the Thunderdome, is officially rebranded as Tropicana Field. Seriously, why would you change the name from the Thunderdome? <laughs> Sponsors. It, it's probably better because from what I've heard, I will say I haven't been like Jen and I have been on like a trip, an ongoing trip to visit all the major league stadiums. We haven't made it to Tampa Bay yet, but what I consistently hear from people who have is that Tampa Bay Stadium is the dead last worst one in the entire league. So, ooh, yeah, really surprised. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It looked nice in the pictures I was looking at it as I was researching this. It's 24 years ago, too, though. That's true. That's true. Lots of things can change. Sorry, Lauren. Go ahead. The First Wives Club remains the number one movie for the second week in a row, and the cultural phenomenon continues as Macarena by Los Del Rio continues its run atop the music charts. I believe it's this episode that actually makes a guest appearance, too. Yep. Uh, This week, we've got 30.5 million viewers tuning in. This week's episode is directed by Tom Moore, first-time director. This is the first of two episodes that he would direct, uh, both in season three. He seems like he's kind of a a pretty prolific television director. Um, Other series that he directed more than one episode of include Mad About You, L.A. Law, and The Wonder Years. Uh, This week's episode is written by Lydia Woodward. And before we even get into the episode, I don't know if maybe it's just because we were watching on Hulu, but this was... I think the first one we've seen with a previously on ER opener. It sure was. Yeah, and this one has uh, George Clooney's voice doing the doing the recap. I know they tend to rotate, though. Who doesn't? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the episode proper, uh, we're gonna open with some audio. But uh, opens with Jeannie getting ready to head out the door, and it's gonna be another Chicago scorcher. Classic, classic hot person episode. Well, classic hot person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a hot person. Sure, we can call it that. Sure, sure. Nah, she's more classy. She's more classy, beautiful. You can be classy and hot at the same time. Get you a girl yeah, who can do both. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, that's fair. Uh, that's fair. But, they uh, do. <laughs> love you, Lauren. But uh, she's headed out to an HIV appointment at the clinic, At taking the suggestion of the gentleman from the hospital clinic in the last episode. So let's listen in. Hey, sorry. I'm running over this morning. I hope I'm not making you late for work. No, I'm not on until this afternoon. Huh? I did my residency at County. Three years of too many patients, too little time, and no resources. That's about right. Yeah, hard to believe we had no CTs, no MRIs, and glass IV bottles. Glass? Yeah. Well, your lab works back, and the results show a viral load of 15,000, which is good. Coffee? No, I've already had too much. Yeah, so have I. Listen, there's a fairly new HIV cocktail that I recommend you start on now. The three drugs? Yeah, AZT, 3TC, and a protease inhibitor. Now, there is no long-term research, but the preliminary findings are positive. Not quite a cure. No, but more hope than we've had in a decade. There may be some side effects. Nausea, vomiting, rash. How much does it cost? Oh, your insurance will cover it. Actually, I'm going to stick with cash. 
Well, that could cost up to $16,000 a year. I'm sure I can work that out. Afraid of letting the hospital know? Well, I've heard of healthcare workers getting fired or reassigned for being HIV positive. Yeah, yeah, me too. I've got a couple of them as patients. But not from county, though, so I don't know what their policy is. It's hard to ask without someone wanting to know why you're asking. Listen, I'm going to write the prescription, but these will get you started, okay? You're to take two of the three TC and six each of the AZT and the protease inhibitor. 14 pills a day? Yeah. The three TC, twice a day with plenty of water. The protease inhibitor before meals, always on an empty stomach. Two each of the AZT, three times a day. Jeannie. Just follow these written instructions, okay? Does your watch have an alarm? Yeah. Good, get used to hearing it. Miss a couple of doses and this virus could develop resistance. How much do I need to worry about transmitting this to a patient? If you use universal precautions and are careful when disposing of sharps, there shouldn't be a problem. Shouldn't. Now, with the exception of one dentist, there has been no case documentation of, of any healthcare worker transmitting HIV to a patient. None. So I'll see you in three weeks. Three weeks. Jeannie, there are a lot of diseases that can take your life, but this one can take over your life. Don't let it. So, uh, reality's hitting Jeannie like a ton of bricks. Yep. 14 pills a day. That's a lot. Yeah. I thought it was a lot when I was taking 10. It's a lot. And then it, and also the like inherent fear and dread that comes with that, that like she said, if you miss a couple doses, that could be really bad, you know? So it's yeah. like, whew, no pressure, you know? Yeah. And just the cost and just everything like you would never, th you would never think necessarily I wonder. I wonder if this is some of the, one of the things that HIPAA might have changed was that the what well, I wonder if that had any sort of um, impact on like on some something like this. Like she can't use her insurance because she's feared that she might get outed to the hospital because mm. it's a hospital based insurance. So without without getting into too much detail and speaking out of turn for somebody who I don't I can't say whether or not they would want this to be public information. I can just say that I don't. Granted different systems but i don't think so i think there's still a very prominent and prevalent shirking of insurance paying by cash in order to keep your employer or some yeah. keep people out of your business and it's definitely something that still goes on to this day well and i mean even on a much tamer scale look at the whole controversy with birth control because of it being a moral choice and yeah. how mm -hmm. private insurance companies have the right to yeah i suppose you're yeah and i know and obviously i know that hiv positive people are still heavily stigmatized in today's society yep which yeah. is bullshit so this episode so her situation is still very relevant today folks it sure is yeah and uh our hiv doc here who we don't see again and we don't actually even get a name for um she's just the clinic doctor um she is somewhat recognizable though she is uh played by an actress named isabella hoffman who you may recognize from homicide life on the street as well as the flash tv series as well as the dc's legends of tomorrow series as well she plays the same character in both Oh. Yeah, uh, Dr. Clarissa Stein, I think is her character's name. 
Oh, I think I know who that is. Okay. I've seen like the first, I saw like the first four seasons of Flash and I saw the first two seasons of Legends of Tomorrow. I think I, I think I remember who that is. I wish, one of the characters' wives. Sorry. I wish we had seen more of her though, because I think she would have been a really, really good audience surrogate is the wrong word, but a good way for the audience to learn a little more through right. Jeannie's so, eyes. Exactly. Yeah. Learn. So the audience gets to learn as Jeannie is learning through this character which they do a good Mm -hmm. job of in this scene they do a good job of of illustrating kind of the burden that this disease places on people who are suffering from it almost to the detriment of the scene at certain points i think like it it they they almost like blow through it too fast because they're trying to like really like drive home how much is piling up fast for her but i think that also is something that very commonly happens in a lot of medical appointments for you know us plebes is we get a lot of information all at once and sometimes we're afraid to ask for repeats or additional information. Yeah. Because we're intimidated and horrified by what we're finding out. I do like the little note she makes at the end, though, that this disease can take your life or it can take over your life. Don't let it do that. Yep. Good advice. Um, and then we go in with some bangs. So we are three for three on, on the bangs. This Three for two. Fuck. Two for two. Fuck. Fuck. We're on season three. <laughs> Oh, I hate naps. Um, So we are two for two for season three. Thank you, team, for keeping me on track today. After the credits roll, we see Carter on his bed, not in his bed, sleeping. So I'm thinking either he got home super late and just fell into bed, didn't even bother to get under the covers, because it's not like he's sleeping with just a sheet. It's he is sleeping on top of his made bed. But we... We, we wake up to someone banging at the door rather loudly and insistently. And as he gets up and goes to answer the door, I noticed he's wearing a white sock shirt. And his new neighbor is asking if he's a real doctor because she noticed that he had MD on his mailbox. <laughs> and she's she's got some, some health complaints that she is concerned about. So she, um, she's got some shortness of breath and he tells her to quit smoking because this entire scene, she is just sucking on a cigarette and blowing it in carter's face yes it's disgusting and she has like a meat tenderizer in one hand yeah which is really weird it's what she uses to knock on the door and later in the window yep and then um he all of a sudden looks and he's like wait what time is it and she goes well i just finished watching like regis and kathy or something like that and he's just like oh shit oh shit and he just starts running around his hospital, completely ignoring her as she's still talking at him. Like, yep, get a get an inhaler, try try a nebulizer, try this, try that. Maybe quit smoking. Like, <laughs> and move. I gotta get the fuck out of here. Yeah, pretty much. Does he even close the door as he leaves? I think he leaves it like ajar. Leaves her in the doorway. He leaves it unlocked. He closes it, but he leaves it unlocked. Gotcha. So his neighbor here is Betty from 318, as she's introduced. <laughs> uh, she's played by actress Eileen Brennan. Uh, this is her first of two appearances this season. She um, she hasn't been in a ton of stuff. She had 128 credits in total, um, dating back to like the 60s. Uh, she was in Clue, Murder by Death, oh! The Last Picture Show, uh, among other things. She unfortunately passes away in 2013. Okay, I just saw the younger picture of her from Clue. Yep. Yeah, I think she's Mrs. Peacock in the '80s Clue so. movie. Yeah, it's one of Lauren. That's that's Lauren's brand of trash. It sure is. It's, I don't watch it, it nearly enough. It's real good trash. I gotta be honest. Never seen it. 
it was kind of cool it was like you got different endings depending on what region you saw the movie in so that was kind of neat um so we go from there to uh the er where lydia and Halle are wrestling an overweight woman who got out of her restraints and she is she is on some stuff uh she is the, in fact one of the nurses remarks i can't take these fat people on pcp they manage to wrestle her down to the ground. Lydia, Carol, and Halle sit on top of her with the, they, like, they get the gurney. They have her kind of, like, burritoed in the mattress, and then they get the mattress down on the ground, and they sit on top of the mattress until security comes in. And then as security's coming in, they kind of all get themselves up, dust off, and they're all immediately back into gossiping about county closing again uh, while we see security kind of Bugs Bunny wrestling the woman in the background. So it's a Cause, funny little scene. Because... Fat people are just props for comedy. Uh, I mean, I, I would have preferred they didn't, you know, go right for the I can't take these fat people on PCP line. But other than that, it's not strictly that she's fat that's the butt of the joke. It's that she's on PCP. Yeah, PCP is a hell of a drug. No matter how, no matter how. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you size you are. You are. It'll, it'll turn you into the, the Hulk. Never taken and never will. But still, from what I understand. Um, but well, anyway... I was just going to say, we also had that gentleman with the bunnies in season one who was severely obese and they made him the butt of some. Oh, yeah. No, that, that's well. not to say they never do it because they definitely do sometimes. Like, remember the lady who had twins that they were like, oh, my God, I can't believe a fat woman was ever pregnant. Who would have sex with that? Like, they've definitely just, done it. I'm just looking for shit to bitch about today, gang. <laughs> Lauren's in a fighting mood. It's fine. Let's go. All right, tell us what's next. You can find her on Twitter at Lobob92345. Don't let me fuck up my Twitter handle again today. Anyway, uh, just quick beat there. Uh, Ben's looking for Carter, as he does, as someone would do when they're late, and asks Randy, and Randy says, he's a surgical intern. We don't keep track of him anymore. I love that. And then we have Carrie is greeting Peter and introduces him to a surgeon named Wayne Lentloff. And Wayne wants to talk to Peter about a fellowship in cardiothoracic specialty. And he's schmoozing him to, and he's like, oh, you could finish your fellowship in just three years. Maybe you should come to a brunch this weekend in Lake Forest. Which is way far north of the city. Yeah. So I guess Peter still needs to pick his fellowship. You know, for as standoffish as Peter can be, he does, he really does seem to uh, attract the attention of the snooty types. (laughs) I almost did the vent, the mucilage. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. This is just a different variation. But after that, uh, we have another. We have our next audio for you. Uh, it's Mark wheeling into the ambulance bay with, excuse me, Mark like wheeling in on his motorcycle. Thank you to the ambulance bay <laughs> with Susan walking in next to him and talking about their their blind dates from the night before, but not with each other, unfortunately. Hence the blind date term. I know, but still, it would have been it would have been cute if it would have been if someone would have set them up on a blind date with each other. Hey. Hey, you want a ride? Oh, no. thanks. I think I can make it from here. So how'd it go last night? How'd what go? Your blind date. Oh God. You know better than to tell anything to Doug. I only told him after he told me about your blind date last week. The girl with the retainer. I don't believe him. Don't worry. Mine was worse. No, nothing could be worse. This girl had an entire vegetable garden stuck in her teeth. That's the baby pool compared to Tad. Tad? Hey, Manny, can I get a cup of coffee, Black? You got it. I can't believe you'd go out with a guy named Tad. I did. Here you go. I made it fresh just for you. Hey, Joey. Yo. Hey, you fresh from yesterday's grounds. (laughs) First of all, 
I order a Manhattan, straight up, two cherries. He orders a fruity yet selfless glass of Cabernet. What does that even mean? I have no idea. Then he talks for 45 minutes about his ex-girlfriend, whose name also happens to be Susan. How much he loved her, how much he wanted to marry her, how he wanted to father her five or six children. And by the way, do I want children? Do I want five or six children? Okay, Ted could be worse. I'm not even there yet, Mark. I look over and he has this drop of red wine hanging from his nose. What? You heard me, this puny little blob just hanging there. So of course, I cannot take my eyes off of it. Is it gonna fall? Is it gonna hang there all night? Is his skin going to absorb it? How did it get there? Mark! No way. How do you get your nose that far down into a wine glass? What, was he smelling it or? Mark, please. Okay. What happened? I went to the bathroom and snuck out the window. You're kidding. Nope. Wow. Wow. She's so cool. You should like, date her, Mark. Yeah, like Mark, how are you still this swept away by your best by one of your best friends? Like, you know her. This shouldn't surprise you that she would do something like this. Also, Jesus Christ, I am so glad I've never been on a blind date. They every time I hear about them, they sound absolutely goddamn awful. Why are you patting me on the back? Just because I'm glad that you weren't either. <laughs> I mean, I came I came to in the golden age of internet dating, so I was gonna say Oh yeah, yeah we, we missed that most of that ship. That's true. I met you in person. Okay. <laughs> Onward. Patreon.com slash Say in the Tone podcast for a future lounge episode and how we met. Oh, God. Uh, so, Daniel, what happens next? Or do we so, want to talk more about this yeah. unfortunate blind date stuff? I mean, what more is there to say? Uh, Tad's a stupid name, but what more is there really to say? So we go from there to we see Jeannie running for the train, getting on the L. Do we know what line this would be, Lizzie? Chicago geography expert. Yeah, brown line it's the same it's the same station that they use as both like a getting on and getting off point coming and going for yeah coming and going part <laughs> whatever you know what i mean get uh, your minds out of the gutter people this is a family podcast god damn it so as okay. she so as she gets on the train uh she's getting herself settled she's digging in the per in her purse for her mail and uh we actually cure her watch alarm go off for the first time and this i thought was a really nice little touch you know going back to the conversation she had with the hiv doc in the uh, clinic at the beginning of the episode she mentions you know hey does your watch have an alarm on it because you're gonna have to you know she has to take 14 pills a day but it's not like she gets up and you know drops 14 pills down her gullet like she has to take these pills throughout the day at very specific times um and so i thought that the watch alarm was a really interesting way and, and a, a, a subtle way to really emphasize and underscore the the intrusiveness and kind of the dominance that this disease can is going to take over her life and you know it, it, we see this several times throughout the episode and it's very rarely if ever given any sort of significance like nobody ever calls attention to the fact that her watch alarm is going off um, but it's one of those things that you just hear every so often. And it's like a nice subtle reminder that like, damn, like every time that that watch alarm goes off, she has to take another dose. And, I only um, caught it this first time. I'm going to have to keep an eye out for it from it now comes on. up. And I know it comes up again for sure when she talks to Al at the construction site. But it, I think it comes up at least once once more after that, too. But it, it, I just thought it was a nice subtle way to kind of underscore that that sentiment that like, yeah, this is like a constant part of her life now good catch wonder what her bad news was 
Um, and then we from there we go to Carter running in to scrub in for a procedure. Benton is already in there with Morgan Stern and Gant. Morgan Stern is talking about Lentloff and how he's predictable in a show-off that he offers the same brunch to every single resident that he's trying to get under his belt for the fellowship. And Morgan Stern's talking about Peter's other fellowship options, like the, hey, you're a popular guy, you have plenty of options, but some of the more prestigious ones you have to actually go and seek out. Not everybody's going to come to you and gush over you and have you apply. And then Benton chews Carter out for being late and tells him, hey, you know, um, Gant was, you know, here early to cover for you in the ER. You should go do the favor for him. Go to the ER. So Carter gets kicked out and has to go do ER duty. That's the one thing I don't like about Carter now is that he feels like the ER is below him. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. bro, you're still saving lives. You're still getting to do procedures. You're... Shut up and go get bloody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> go, yeah, go help some people. Go get in the trenches. So then from there, we go back down to the admit desk uh, where we see E-Ray and Jerry talking. Um, everybody's kind of, rightfully so, kind of panicking about the prospects of, of county closing. And so everybody's kind of making their exit plans. We see E-Ray is still in his Sergeant Pepper outfit from the end of season two. Has not has not changed his, uh, his shirt. Uh, he's helping Jerry reformat his resume which Lauren could also help you do. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we also hear Chuni say that she only has eight hours worth of savings, which, you know, hard relate. <sighs> Happy 2020, everyone. Um, and after that, we have our uh, third audio for you. Uh, we get the first mention of probably one of our longest running characters for the rest of the series. Yeah. Right? One of our, get, one of our longest running B characters. Two long running characters in this episode. Uh, one is very obvious, the other one not so much, but uh, yeah. spoilers okay. for later. Well, let's hear what Carrie and Mark have to say about Dr. Anspa. Susan? Yeah? you help me with a chest tube? Yes, I'm going to see those kids. Mark, did you get a chance to read that synopsis of Donald Anspa's speech at Northwestern? Modern Architecture for Emergency Medicine Management. Anspa, isn't he the chief at Southside? <laughs> yeah. Doug did his rotation there. He said the guy's a bit of a crackpot. Well, you might want to consider the source in that evaluation. I found his ideas intriguing. Carrie, rearranging the physical layout here is not one of my priorities. Well, could we at least rearrange where security sits? Three of our nurses had to restrain a PCP patient this morning because it took the guys more than four minutes to get there. Was anybody hurt? Fortunately, no. You know, Mark, just because it's my suggestion doesn't, by definition, make it a bad idea. She just has a way of making you feel really small, doesn't she? Yes, but she's also 100% right. Oh, yeah. No, she is 100% right. And I'm glad she's self-aware and can actually say stuff like that. Stick up for herself. Let it never be said on this podcast that Carrie Weaver is a weak woman. No, no, she's she's many things, but that is not one of them. I've seen her called some other very interesting things lately, but I don't think weak was one of them. Well, that's for the Facebook <laughs> folks. I, I also love to discuss. <laughs> I was trying to leave it vague and not specifically call out the Facebook group. But... I didn't say I didn't say which one. I just said there's because there's there several many. on. Yeah, there's many. Yeah, but Numerous. only one that Daniel and I are regular. Shh. <laughs> so uh, see now I, you want minute specific. 
I also appreciate oh. all of the unspoken or not unspoken, but unseen, like not to his face behind his back, uh, Doug shade that is thrown around this episode. Like early, yes. earlier with, with Susan and Mark, she was like, Oh, like I, you can't tell Doug anything. And then here, like Carrie's shitting on him. And I think it happens again a little bit later. Like everybody's just kind of shitting on Doug behind his back. And then we have Jeannie goes to visit Al at the construction site where he's working and it turns out that that letter she got was Al's charges for his AIDS treatment got sent to her because they're still married, so she's legally responsible if he can't pay. It's $3,200, and he says he can't afford the COBRA payments, and he's working for an independent contractor, so he isn't covered through them, and that he doesn't have any insurance right now. Gotta love the American healthcare system, don't you folks? And poor Jeannie, just as she is talking about this, you can just hear her voice start to break. And again, heavy lifting by Gloria Rubin, she just brings that sheer weight of the world crashing down on her shoulders with both having to take care of herself and now she's got to look after Al's shit because he's not set up right. To be fair, it's very easy to fuck the shit up. I know, but I'm just saying that for her, it's... Yeah, you can no, tell I'm, how overwhelming. I'm not saying it's, it makes her situation any better. I'm just saying, in general, it's very easy to fuck this shit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And get screwed over. And now with having to take on the, the financial burden of his stuff, that now makes it that much harder, if not outright impossible, for her to pay for her own treatment out of pocket. So she's going to have to go through her insurance and the hospital is going to find out. And yeah, it's just this like awful like avalanche for her and... And again, like as I pointed out earlier, you definitely hear a uh, watch alarm go off in this scene. I can't remember if it's hers or Al's, but you definitely hear a watch alarm go off while they're having this conversation. Um, So again, just kind of that underscore of like, it's always in the background creeping and it's just, it's really, really good. So we go from there back to the ER where a a little old man is being brought in by the ambulance. He's an 81 year old, very frail old man, seems delirious or, you know, suffering from maybe dementia or something like that. He's looking for a man named Thomas. The old man here's, uh, we find out later his name is Mr. Heath uh, and he's played by an actor named Eric Christmas, which is just a tier precious name. Like, I don't think you could really ask for a more precious name for a tiny old man than Eric Christmas. But uh, he also I don't know. had red, red, red buttons. I mean, red, but yeah, red buttons is up there too. But uh, <laughs> Mr. Christmas here was in a bunch of different movies. He had a lot, very eclectic filmography. I would definitely encourage you to look him up. I guarantee you've seen him in something. But unfortunately, he does pass away in 2000. So not not too terribly long after this episode, oh, wow, yeah. three or four years later. Um, and this is our first appearance. The EMT that is bringing him in is a kind of younger, blonde-haired white guy. Uh, it's the first appearance of EMT Brian Dunbar, who I looked at and was like, do I like, is he anybody that we need to pay attention to? Uh, kind of like he will be with us for the remainder of the series uh, through 2009, 96 episodes he will appear in. Damn. I wow. have zero memory of this guy. <laughs> like 96 episodes through the run of the series. And I'm like, who the fuck is Brian? I don't remember this guy at all. But it's because we haven't interviewed him. Obviously, we uh, obviously, yeah, we, we've, we've made the rounds, <laughs> made all the rounds of all the other EMTs. We might as well get Brian too. But uh, yeah, I am paying a lot. I am paying a lot more attention to the EMTs now that we've now that we've started speaking to them, and I'm like, oh yeah, they deserve the to be noted too. And, yeah, they which deserve EMTs the shine. Are bringing people in, uh, but you know, people are just having beautiful days all around. Jeannie's having a great day, and so is Carol because Carol's car is getting towed, and. 
not for any like parking reasons. It's just it's being repossessed because she's three months behind on her payments. She was like, I'm just a little late. Nah. Nah, you've missed three payments. That's usually usually when things start getting dicey. And then we have Doug is on the phone talking to a lady friend, and he says he can't meet her parents because he's working. And Jerry and Randy are watching this phone call and judging him so hard. And then afterwards, um, I can't remember what excuse Doug makes. Doug's like, oh, it was a, a patient or something. Like, he, he tries to write it off. And Randy goes, you know, Jerry, you should really have Doug help you because he's, he's pretty good with words. Like, just basically calling him a fucking liar. Jeez. She just calls him out on it. And then um, we have Carol... There have been two 15-year-olds that have been sitting in chairs as kind of a through line for this episode, and Carol has been trying to get Mark to see them for, like, up until now. And Carol finally is like, hey guys, come with me. Takes them to Trauma 2 to get Mark to see them, and Mark's like, I'm kind of in the middle of something, because they're, like, in a, they're, like, in a dude's chest, or they're, they're working really hard on a trauma patient, and he's like, they're just gonna have to wait a little bit longer. So Carol's like, alright, you guys, you know those spots you were sitting? Yeah. Go back there and wait. I can't tell who she's trying to make the point to there. Like if it's the kids or Mark, like maybe both. Like, I don't know who she's trying to like drive the point because the way she says that line to the kids, it makes it seem like, cause they ask like, you know, nobody's come and talk to us. Like, is it her explaining here's why nobody's talked to you? Or is it her, you know, bugging Mark to be like, go see these kids. I think she's bugging Mark. That's personally how I read this whole thing, was that, like, these kids have been waiting, nobody's seen them or talked to them. But uh, after that, we go back over to Mr. Heath, who's being evaluated for abdominal pain, and Benton, rightfully so, thinks the guy was just dumped here on the ER so that the people at the home that take care of him could relax the weekend, and his personal care nurse could have the weekend off. His personal care nurse, who we get introduced to by him eating a burrito over his shoulder, like, dropping shit onto him as he's, like... Mr. Travers. Yeah, that guy's gross. Yeah. Classy as fuck. Mm Mm-hmm. Clearly qualified. And then we have Carol asks to borrow Mark's bike to get home because she has an appointment at her house. And it's just like, oh my god. Carol on a motorcycle. This can only end well. And then... Finally, Carol brings Susan over to talk to the 15-year-olds, and they don't even take them back to an exam room. They just have this conversation out in the middle of chairs, and the girl says they lost their condom. Deeply, deeply lost. That's a nice subtle way to say your boyfriend is a huge dick. (laughs) No, sometimes it just gets falls off and just gets stuck up there. Not necessarily a deep dickin'. (sighs) But anyway, um, they don't do anything else with this with these two. Nope, this they is sure just don't. where they end. Yep. Like they're like, hey, we lost our condom, and then that's where this part of the episode ends. Cool. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Um, and after that, we have our another audio clip for you. Uh, we have uh, Mark, Carrie, and Morgenstern all walking and talking about the the hospital's potential closure. I thought the decision wasn't being made for another week. That's what we all thought until they called this meeting for this afternoon. So they gave no indication as to what the outcome was. Nada, niente, zip. Could be us, could be Southside, could be Central, but someone's closing down. Here, I got this. Here you go, Manny, three cans of pop. Thanks. I didn't think they'd actually do it. Do the 
did I. Neither did Donald Onspot. He called me about it. Sounded like he was having a psychosensory disturbance. He's afraid he's losing his job. You know him. Did my last two years of residency at Hennepin with him. Guy's completely lumpy. I'd rather like him. <laughs> Give it time. He eats med students for breakfast, residents for lunch, and the attendings are who he chews up for dinner. There was this guy, Michelson. He was a new ER attending when I was there. Anspa vetoed every research topic he submitted. What for? He just didn't like him. Wanted to make sure he didn't get tenure. So the meeting's at five? Yeah, and I want you two there. But let's not mention it to the staff. They're nervous enough as it is. So, of course, everyone's going to mention it to all the staff. <laughs> yeah, they're all going to mention it to their favorites. Because the ER is nothing if not a gossip central. But yeah, they're... they're they're making Onspa out to be like the, the Antichrist. <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah. The 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 difference in like the the hype versus the finished product here is like mm, doesn't really match up. But yeah, we will we will come back to them a little bit later with the actual staff meeting. And then we go back inside where we see uh Doug and Carol talking about her car uh in the uh the drug lockup. Doug kind of he's like well I can't really help you right now but I get paid in a you know whatever few days or whatever he's like I could and she's like no nah, I think I'm a little bit beyond I'm way beyond a little help from my friends is her exact quote uh, but she says she's gonna try and sell her house as a way to make some money which good luck sister and then we go back and see Susan runs into Mark and you know of course first thing she asks is what that was all about uh, their meeting with Morgan Stern and Carrie outside and Mark's like, I can't tell you. There's a meeting at five to decide if we're closing or not. Like, he blurts it out, like, two seconds after he says, I can't tell you. Just iron trap there, Mark. But uh, Susan doesn't really... She doesn't seem, like, too, too like, afraid. She seems more concerned that it's going to affect her vacation to Hawaii, which I find, like, doubly funny and interesting since, you know, Sherry Stringfield herself has, like, one foot out the door at this point. So it was kind of, like, funny that that's extending into Susan as well. And then we have Carter's new neighbor shows up to the ER, waving at him from behind the glass. Beating on the glass with her meat hammer. Yeah, what the fuck? So that's going to be a little interesting a little bit later. And then all of a sudden, Manny, the guy who runs like the coffee cart out in the ambulance bay, throws up on the admit desk. Gross. Yep. I love this music. Oh, God, it wasn't the food, was it? Oh, of course. Isn't there a reason they call it the roach coach when they... <laughs> When they go out there, mm. yeah. Uh, but we go over to uh, Je- we come back to Jeannie. Uh, she's working on her first patient since what we assume is her first patient since her diagnosis. It's a boy with a large cut on his hand, and she has to suture it. And she gets very nervous, just about in general, just because I'm sure she, what's going through her head is like, oh my god, what if I. What if I cut my, what if I cut myself during this? Oh my god, what if I do XYZ? Like I'm gonna She sells being scared out of her mind over a simple thing, which is not a simple thing anymore when Nope. When you're HIV positive. But she sells it in such a way where it is not apparent to the boy or his mother, which is Yeah. Is what really sells it. Like it's she you know, she man- maintains the professional facade, but inside she's screaming. Yeah, you can see that look on her face, like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Deer in the headlights. Yeah. And I think the way they do, like, with the camera, like, they pause it on her with uh, her hovering over the, the tools with the mm. with the, with the the lidocaine and the all the stitching materials. 
so it begins and then we go over to carter with his neighbor betty and she has a fancy new oxygen tank and goes to light up another cigarette and car's like you can't smoke in here like you can't especially around that tank it'll blow up you'll blow up don't do it you shouldn't be smoking anyway and she's like oh could that make a difference at my age i want you to know that i asked for you specifically and she like goes to pet his cheek it's like, <laughs> yikes. So Carter's got a new friend who lives near him. That'll be great. Yikes. Then we have Carter getting called in to deal with Mr. Heath, the little old man from earlier. He's uh, coding, and so Carter goes to do chest compressions. And we actually hear hit one of his ribs break, which was like, <laughs> but very realistic. I mean, you know, that happens when you do cpr you know i used to tell people when i taught cpr like if you're doing it right you'll probably break some ribs so if you're if you're not breaking any ribs you're probably not pushing hard enough and he does get a faint pulse to return um and then said so i feel like that's going to be another sticker that we need eventually is your face with a speech bubble that says if you're if you're not breaking ribs you're not pushing hard <laughs> enough <laughs> just with how often that's come up yeah in interviews and everything like we need to have it it's true uh, and then immediately, as soon as he gets no time to like relish this victory here, because Benton comes in and yells at him that he needs to get upstairs for uh, an H and P, which we will check back in with in a little bit. Then we go over uh, to you know they make it seem like Carol is going to have a hard time riding the motorcycle, but she's really she's she's doing just fine. She's uh riding the riding it past Wrigley Field to get to her house and Born to be Wild is playing in the background and <laughs> hey good for her she's wearing a helmet yeah way to be safe um, you'd hope so being a medical professional that she would you'd take think. that seriously uh, but her house is unlocked and the door is already open and the realtor that she was going to meet with is already there with her mom um, and is this is this still the same actress for her mom it is not this is the first appearance of second Carol's mom um, so if you remember we, we, we didn't I don't think we saw Carol's mom at all in season two uh, but we, I don't think so. we saw her a few times very early in season one uh, as she was recovering from her suicide attempt. Carol's suicide attempt, not her mom's. And she was played by this like very severe, very like kind of militant looking woman who didn't speak very often. But when she did, had a very different sounding voice to this woman that we have now, uh, who also doesn't physically. I mean, they, they made no effort whatsoever, which I get it. She's a very minor character. So why would you bother trying to match them up? But um, yeah, this actress is like almost a polar opposite to the first lady that we had. But uh, her name is Rose Gregorio, the actress's name. This is the first of seven appearances she will make as Carol's mom through 1999. So pretty much the rest of Carol's run on the show, um, this will be mom. Okay, that's what I thought. But the realtor is... She's trying to be realistic with Carol and use the phrase, I couldn't sell this house if the rest of Chicago burned down around it. Oof. Which, goes, too uh, soon after the Great Chicago Fire? I don't know. <laughs> 150 years before this. <laughs> oh, jeez. And then she lists all the reasons why she can't sell it, which is just, you know, chef's kiss. Which is just, yeah. I mean, there's no lies about that. Okay, so then Carter is taking an H&P with a very chatty man with a hernia. And is H&P his history and physical? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remembered something. I think so, right? I think so, yeah. So close enough. We'll pretend it's right. It's fine. And then the guy says he's very nervous, and as he's talking to Carter about it, he starts to say, like, oh, God, what if I don't make it? Blah, 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 blah. And as he's saying this, we hear his heart rate on the monitor start to speed (laughs) up. And Carter, we see the light bulb go off, and he goes, you know, Mr. So-and-so, 
if you're really nervous, you could do a local anesthetic where you won't feel a thing, but you'll be awake the whole time and you can ask your questions all the way through. And the guy goes, really? And Carter goes, yeah, you know, Dr. Benton encourages it, in fact. And then hands the guy a book called, like, Secrets of Surgery or something. And he says, read up on hernias in this book. Anything you don't understand, you just ask Dr. Benton. <laughs> so good. This is this is my favorite kind of Carter being a shit heel Because, like, yeah. it's like the nurse's potty training Carter. It's punching up. I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. It's, and also... That sounds horrifying beyond belief. Just doing a local. Yeah, that sounds absolutely horrifying. No thank you ever. And yeah. for a, no. lot, a lot of shit, they have to put you under general because they have to paralyze you so you don't screw anything up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. So, yeah, our nervous patient here, Mr. Hartley, he's played by an actor named Ray Burke, who you may recognize from, uh, he was in all the Naked Gun movies, as well as one of my favorite 80s movies, Throw Mama from the Train. And Doc Hollywood. Never seen any of those. Throw Mama from the Train is excellent. It's one of the, it's Danny DeVito and Billy Crystal. And one of the few, like, really, really, like, one of the few Billy Crystal movies that still holds up now. Okay. Uh, When Harry Met Sally still holds up, and that makes me so sad. And then we have Doug and Mark are in the lounge trying to pop open their their bottles of soda on a counter, because it's not twist tops. It's the old, you know, you need a... Pet, uh, God, why can't I think of a bottle opener to get it? They don't have a bottle opener, so they're just trying to catch him on the lip of the counter. And they're shooting the shit, whatever. And Susan comes in, and Doug makes some snide-ass comment about her blind date. And she's just like, oh, I hate you both. And she just grabs a soda, opens it first, try, and leaves. And then Doug and Mark are like, oh, that's how she did it. And, like, they try again. And it's just, it's a really cute moment with the three of them. I love when the three of them are just allowed to have dumb friend moments because I feel like we haven't gotten it a lot. Yes. I'm just, I know Susan's time is coming to a close very quickly. Try not to think about it. I know, but uh, at least for her first run. So, but we'll get to, we'll get to that in a few weeks. Uh, But for now, we're going to go back to Carol. She's nailing up fabric. She's nailing up fabric for curtains, which (laughs) that seems, that seems less than ideal. It's not how that works. Yeah, like, why wouldn't you do a put a curtain rod on there? Hey, those are load bearing curtains. All right, you're gonna need to you're gonna (laughs) need to nail those up. (laughs) She you she's trying to polish a turd. Okay, it's there's no real great way to do it. I know. I can't really tell. Too this came up in the uh, the earlier scene when she's talking to the realtor. Like over the I think it's over Carol's shoulder. So from the realtor's point of view, we can see there's a gigantic hole in the drywall in the background. And I wondered if it if canonically if that's the hole that she dug with Shep while she was trying to find the fireplace. Mm. But then over the realtor's shoulder, you see a fireplace. So I don't know if it's I don't know which one is real and which one to believe but it looks like in the background it looks like the same hole can i tell you the awful thought i had oh no chef's a white man and kicked it because he got angry and no it's a huge hole like it would have to be like it would have to be godzilla kicked a hole in the wall chef's a very angry man he could have kicked it (laughs) 12 or 15 times sure he just backed his uh Mustang or Camaro whatever car he was working on into it his shit box I don't know anything about cars feel free to call me out but yeah she yells she is ends up just being frustrated and yelling at her mom because she's furious about just how dilapidated the house is and we notice there's a really gross Ohio State magnet on the fridge which you go green go white 
little Big Ten humor in there for all y'all listeners. Yeah. Her mom asks if she wants to sell the house because of Shep. Because, like, oh, because there's so many memories of Shep in this household. The mom advises her to go visit her uncle, Miko. Yeah. Uh, so she can ingratiate herself and get his money. Because he doesn't have kids or anything. Yeah. And he's loaded. Go be that family style of gold digger. <laughs> so we cut back to Mr. Hartley's surgery, and uh, he has opted for the local because he is talking the whole time and benton looks like he is about to murder this man like it, the the just because all you can see with benton is just his eyes because he's got the surgical mask on and he is cutting daggers it is wonderful and then we cut from there over to mark and carrie uh, on their way to the staff meeting and mark you know kind of guiltily admits he's like i told susan lewis about the staff meeting and carrie just dismissively is like that's okay i told Jeannie, malik and carter she's like i figure if you don't tell doug then you're okay <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, I love all the passive-aggressive Doug swiping in this episode. It's my favorite thing. Uh, then we cut yeah, one... He's, the, he's oh. the office gossip. Right? Yeah, he's the office gossip. It's well-established at this point. Don't tell Lydia or Halle, and you're probably all so good. Yeah. 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 You'd think it would be Randy. Yeah. You shouldn't just tell... Like, I'm pretty sure out of all the... You told the people that you could probably pretty safely the, tell. The safe ones, yeah. That's a pretty safe list. Except maybe Carter. I don't know. Carter. I would say maybe Malik out of all of them because the nurses are also tight with one True. another. But we cut out of there to our last uh, quick hitter here. We see uh, Carter checking in with Mr. Heath, and Mr. Heath whispers something into Carter's ear, and we see Carter laugh. We don't get to hear what it is he said. We find out later, but we will check in back, check back in with that a little bit later. But for now, we're going to cut over to the staff meeting, which we have the audio of for you, and features the first ever appearance on ER of Donald Monspa. There he is. Possible. Maybe it should be on fire. So crowded. Every buzzard in the county showed up for this one. Present company accepted. (laughs) Alice Wakely. She's run the county health services since the Paleolithic. You know her? Went to school together. She was ahead of me, of course. Okay, okay, everybody. I'll spare you and make this quick. While we obviously regret the need to close any county medical facility. She's lying already. This is Our extremely quick. strapped budget has made it unavoidable. As of two weeks from today, Southside will close its doors. Okay, there's the good news for you. Obviously, we're concerned about the loss of jobs, so we're going to consolidate as much of the staff as possible. There's some people here I want to introduce for those of you who might not know them. Harrison Holman is coming over as new chief of obstetrics. Harrison. (laughs) Bonnie Brown will be sharing the CFO office with James Malkovich. I heard she's excellent. Did a, a great job at Deaconess. And with Mike Babcock taking early retirement, Donald Anspach will become county's new chief of staff. Donald. I love sassy goddamn Morgan Stern. He is the best he's ever been here, and it makes me so happy. So you'll be even happier to find out my little trivia tidbit about that at the end of the episode. (gasps) I'm so excited. Um, Also, I think it... I know... Okay, so I understand that they're all pretty relieved that you know they aren't going to be potentially losing their jobs but it's just like oh yeah we're still clapping for the thought the thought that uh you know a hospital in an already underserved community of chicago the south side 
It's closing. Thank yeah. you. And that's the fact that they're the the fact that they're clapping and there are people from that hospital in the room. I know. It's so fucking garish. It really is. Like Oh yeah, great. I mean, I get like you said, I get it. They're happy that their jobs are safe, but it's just like come on, guys. There are other people that are losing their jobs and like you said, the the community's going to be further strained by this. Like this is not a good thing. Now, for pedantic bullshit, I want to put this on the table. On spa or anspa? For me, it's one of the one. It's one of those ones that's interchangeable. But I probably most often would say anspa. Yeah, I, was, I, I usually say anspa. I was always saying anspa, so I was like, "Did I, have I been fucking saying this wrong the whole time?" Yeah, it's one of those ones that I think is interchangeable, even within characters within the show. Like, I don't think I, I think he's I think he's referred to as both, but. But yeah, it is the first appearance of Donald Anspa or Anspa, depending on what your preference is. Played by actor John Aylward, this is his first of 74 appearances that he will make through 2008. So he will be with us pretty much almost the rest of the way. Um, He'll be with us through season 14. So uh, get used to seeing his mug. But this is, (laughs) he looks so good here though. He looks so young. It was so good to see him. It was like, okay, now this is really becoming the county general that we know. It's taking shape. Yes. Then we see a party at the admit desk because they aren't closing. Speaking of things that are potentially in bad taste. Yep. (laughs) They're drinking sparkling juice and dancing around. And Carter is talking about Mr. Heath to Carol. Thinks the mystery named Thomas was, in fact, uh, Mr. Heath's dog. Because the thing that was whispered to him was kibble, 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 kibble. And at the desk, Randy, E. Ray, and Lydia are doing the Macarena. We don't hear the Macarena mix uh, music, though. <laughs> Couldn't get the They're rights. just doing the dance. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we find out there's a call to the desk. And we hear that Dr. Morgenstern will be unable to attend the party. Carrie calls from the lounge to let them know. And Carrie is trying to make Dr. Morgenstern feel better. They're sitting in the lounge together. And Morgan Stern asks her to dinner and a movie at the Music Box Theater, to which she suggests Caligula, which I thought was a great little Carrie <laughs> sense of humor moment, because that is a very blue film. It's a, I don't know what that movie is. It's, it's very... Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you when you're older. Okay. <laughs> I'm older than you. So I'll tell you when you're older. It didn't say anything about my age. It's a weird little, like, two shot of them, you know, like, it's a weird vibe anyway, because he's kind of asking her out. And we also know that she's gay. Like, we don't, I mean, we don't know at the time, but like, we know, but you know, it's just kind of weird. Here's, here's another question. Isn't Morgan Stern married? I, I was thinking that too. Like, I want to say yes, but I can't. I thought say he had mentioned sure. his wife in another episode. Yeah. I wanna, Cause they're talking, remember the piano or whatever? Yeah. I think you might be right. I th- but of course, Moving you know, he doesn't, in season he, one. he doesn't, in fairness, he does not make any sort of romantic overture. It's just like, right. Let's go have dinner and whatever as friends, you know, like it doesn't have to be, there can be platonic. It could be, yes. But, um, but just the way that it, they, the way the lighting is and the way that you see them like side by side, they almost look like brother and sister. And it's very weird. A little bit. It's very, very weird. And then we have Anspa goes over to meet Dr. Green, who is sitting at the, at the counter because Susan runs away when she sees Anspa coming and he introduces himself and everything and is like, oh, you know, what's your music preference? And he lists like Battle Hymn of the Republic or the National Anthem. It's something like that. Two very, very unrelated to the party type songs. And Mark goes, eh, I gotta go. And runs off. And then as Mark runs off, 
Answa puts on some like nice smooth jazz that's actually kind of catchy for the tone of what's going on. And Mark pops his head back, and Answa's like, gotcha. So like, haha, he has a good sense of humor about himself. He looks like somebody who'd be listening to stuffy classical music, and he's cool. He listens to jazz. And going back to the, I just did a quick, some quick Google foo. The, uh, the movie Caligula <laughs> is a 1979 erotic history drama film focusing on the rise and fall of the eponymous Roman emperor Caligula, starring Malcolm McDowell. The yep. what? Of the ep- Eponymous. Eponymous. I can never hip hop anonymous. I can't pronounce names. I've got at least that covered for me. But yes, so I think it's really rude how Mark handles this. I'm just gonna be honest. How he just like dips before he even gets gives him a chance. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's been given nothing but like reasons to fear him. So fair, but also Anspa looks like such a fish out of water because he's down there in a full suit. Just kind of like mingling with everybody, and everybody else is in their scrubs and stuff. Hey, he's got to make a first impression. Get I know, because he's going to be he's going to be their boss. I know. So, uh, but we after that we go over to uh, Mr. Tr- Mr. Travers. Tra- Mr. Travers. Is it Travers or Travels? I think it is Travels. I think it is Travels. Okay. Okay. We go back over to Mr. Travels in the treatment room. He is puking his guts out. Good. And yeah, as we mentioned before, Mr. Travels is Mr. He is personal nurse, and uh, basically this whole scene unfolds with Carter and Carol. You know, they realize that he just dumped Mr. Heath on the ER, just with different like in super invasive medical procedures, like trying to scare the shit out of him, <laughs> and like settle like, oh yeah, we're gonna give him a barium enema, which yeah. I don't know what the barium does in there, but I'm gonna assume it's something not good, not pleasant rather. There you go. <laughs> I'm not even going to look that up. Nope. I'm good. Nope. There's some things we don't need to know. Yep. Leave it to the imagination. So we go from there to we have Doug, uh, who surprises a radiologist who we've never seen before. What happened to Steve? If, or maybe it is Steve. Maybe Steve mm-hmm. just got hot. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stranger Heather. things have happened. We have Heather now, uh, who is <laughs> new canon. Yeah, Steve transitioned. <laughs> Uh, Heather is played by a, an actress named Elizabeth Barandes. I hope I'm saying that right. I only mentioned that because it's a f- her first of three appearances on the show to this season. So we're burning off half of her season three appearances right here. And the last one is randomly in somewhere in 99. So I, I hmm. don't really remember much about Heather. I can't imagine that her storyline is very lengthy, but it's like, where are we going to meet her for two episodes right now? And then, bring her back three years from now for one I, I just don't know but uh Doug doing his usual schmoozing act trying to get her to go for a drink she says it's never just a drink implying this is they she's already been what, what was the what was the line from last season the Clutie's a sex machine she's uh, yeah, she's like, already Clutie's put a quarter a- in she's already put at least one yeah. quarter in because it's never just Clutie's a drink. a sex machine and she wants to put in a quarter well she's she's thought better of her her quarters because uh she says it's never just a drink and this is just just peak sleazy doug in this scene here but at least he's not being a creep with carol anymore so he's getting better or at least he's directing it elsewhere worth noting she does relent and agree <laughs> to go to go out with him yeah i mean it is Clooney. it's true He's a beautiful, beautiful man. And after that, uh, this this one threw all three of us for a loop because... Goddamn, okay. Yeah, because Carol gets a call over the emergency radio from the paramedics and says there's a 32-year-old male who was struck by the L, who was struck by the L when he was on the tracks. 
and that they're en route. So we all thought. <laughs> can, can I say something real quick? Yeah, go for it. I forgot I wrote that note. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, who's calling me stupid? Yeah, you are. You're calling yourself. <laughs> I know. You're always getting on me about about my uh, about me calling myself stupid. So in our notes, I put Lauren is dumb and can't count to 10 and was worried this was somebody else's storyline. But we all did the same thing, really. I mean, it's it's almost word for word. Like, I feel like because I, I know there is a, a scene like this where somebody answers the radio and they say, this is what we're bringing in. And I feel like it's almost word for word with this. And so I was very like, I was like, no, we haven't. We're not here yet. This is too much. This is much too early for this. And it wasn't, but I was still just like, God, I can't believe they foreshadow that so incredibly hard. Yeah, that was just, that was one of those moments where I looked in horror at Lizzie. Like, are we here already? Um, to be fair, you kind of always look at me in horror when you, when someone <laughs> when someone's struck by an L-Trax. Yeah, well, in general, I thought for a second you were just saying I always look at you in horror. And I was like, <laughs> yes, because I'm terrified at how much I love you. You're so gay. Go Yeah. Keep going. Um, and then we have Mark's date at Navy Pier. Speaking of love, um, he's meeting with a fancy architect and they happen to run into Susan and Herb wine date. And, you know, he's like, oh, my God. Hi. They do the thing where they like talk to each other because they don't want to talk to their dates. And Susan looks really cute here. And Mark is gross coming straight from work in a T-shirt and his scrub bottoms. And... It turns out that the dates have a lot more in common with each other than they do with the two doctors. So we'll see where that goes in a little bit. We sure will. But Mark looks real gross. I mean, you know, he's a working man. Like, can't always be like. Don't care. <laughs> looks gross. Probably smelly. So we go from there back to the ER. We have a trauma being brought in by Doris, a the trained man from earlier in really bad shape. No response to pain stimulus. Jeannie is working on this one, and she's just been really uh, understandably skittish around bloody traumas. And Benton also happens to be working on this one. And he, once he sees that she's, first it's, it's that he sees that she's in there, and then especially once he sees that she's, you know, hesitating and that she's scared, he, like, basically orders her out of the room. And I think Weaver's in there as well. And so Carrie, you know, tries to, tries to savor the embarrassment by you know giving her a task to run she's like can you go to the blood bank and check and see on the type specific and you know but of course carrie is still under the impression that genie is negative that she tested negative so you know i'm sure from her perspective she's just thinking that oh you know this is just a personal issue between benton and or benton's just an asshole and he's he's treating her Mm -hmm. badly just because but you know definitely because she's a pa or something right but definitely we know that like peter knows what's up and this also kind of sets the stage for some stuff that comes a little bit later in this season where Benton's attitudes towards Jeannie's decision to continue to practice are maybe not the most progressive, even in 1996. Like, he seems to not have a full grasp. I mean, I don't know. We'll definitely get into it more as the season goes along. Uh, and then after that, uh, we've got a couple more scenes left here today. Both of them have audio for you, and the uh, first one is going to be Susan and Mark. Uh, they're chatting on the pier while their uh, their blind dates are off, chatting with each other. How long do you think it takes to get a couple of drinks? Hopefully all night. <laughs> mm. I guess this is how perfect couples made. Yeah, somebody else's blind date. Great story for the grandchildren. You know, you should call Tad and give him the tip. <laughs> 
Did you really think you were going to impress her in scrubs? You don't think she went for him? I mean, I find it a turn on, but some women, what, are they coming? Follow me. I know. I got some quarters. I don't remember these things being so small. Well, you probably invented one since you were 12. <laughs> okay? All right. Okay. What do we do? <laughs> Look at the camera. Okay. Ain't no fair. You're hugging the frame. All, right, well, all we're going to see is my neck. <laughs> oh, good. That was one. a great one. Just sit there okay. and look. Okay, shit. Shit. <laughs> They don't give any warning at all. Okay, it's coming up. Right, <laughs> no, come on. Okay, okay. Right, one good one. There. See, that wasn't bad. Nice. Okay, so I was just laughing during that clip because I just realized they're in a photo booth mm-hmm. being all super cute. Uh-huh. And we ship it super hard. But I also realized without the actual, like, visual, like, the initial visual of you seeing them in a photo booth... <laughs> It sounds very it sounds very sexual. Damn it. I missed it. We don't have to re-listen, but I'm going to take your word for it. Yeah, it does sound a little bit like fumbly, like they're fumbling yeah, over each I other. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. But they're cute. Yeah, they're cute. We ship it so, so, I was going to say, so this, this whole scene right here is pretty much the source material for every uh, Susan and Mark shipping video that's ever been produced. Like, they always show the, like, the photo booth picture of the two of them together. Hmm. I still maintain it's better that they didn't. Yeah. And of course, Lauren writing down the the, the lyrics to um, White Flag by um, Dido. Dido, yeah. <laughs> that, I put a whole verse of that song underneath that timestamp. Patreon.com slash slaying the tone slash slaying the tone podcast. You get access to our show notes each week at, for we, a dollar a month. We won't always remember to read you the weird stuff that I put in the notes as I'm keeping track of the episode. And then for our last scene of the episode, uh, we have it's a short audio, but uh, genius confronting Benton or Benton. There are Jeannie they're, and Benton are they're in conflict. Yeah, Jeannie and Benton are in conflict about her go. role in the in the trauma not too long ago. Don't you ever treat me like that again? What the hell were you trying to do? I'm trying to save that man's life by giving him AIDS. I was careful, Peter. I used universal precautions. You were working on a chest wound. What if you made a mistake, cut yourself, and bled into it? I didn't. Okay, what if I made a mistake and cut you? No person has ever got it from a contact in an ER. So does that mean no one can? You pile up all the data you want to, but you better damn well remember what really happens in this room, okay? So if you tested positive, you would have quit? In a minute. But you didn't test positive, did you? I call bullshit. Yeah, 100%. Like, dude, do you not remember the fucking thing from just last season? Like, when it, was, when it wasn't your ass in the fire, you were real quick to jump up. But when it was, then it, then it was so, suddenly hard. Like, do you not remember that? We do. Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> so, yeah, what do we think of this, of this one? I really liked it. I thought it, was, I thought it was definitely a step up from episode one this season. I feel like they got their bearings and have started to kind of figure out where they want to steer the ship for the, for season three. Yep. Yeah. And it was good. Good, good pacing. Yeah. Nothing glaring about it. The only issue I really have with it is the, the 15 year old storyline. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, that was very weird. That's weird, not a place, but. Very weird. Could have been cut. But even that is not, is not like the worst thing in the world. So like, whatever, it's just. It's just fluff to pad it out to 42 minutes. Right. Yeah. 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 That that was a little bit weird. I felt like that could have been cut. Carter's uh, thing with Mr. Heath 
was also a little bit odd to me. Yeah. Like, I felt like there, there could have been more to it. Let like just do something more with it. It was, it just felt, it felt underdeveloped by the end to me. Like it didn't feel kibble, like it got kibble, the payoff. Kibble, kibble, kibble. Yeah. Like it was just, it felt kind of flat. But other than that, like I, the, the whole episode I feel like is very solid. I feel like it's a, a very solid, like seven and a half, eight out of 10 does all of the kind of world building you want it to do advances i love the genie stuff like every time genie's on screen this episode is phenomenal it's probably the best morgan stern has ever been on the show to this point i think which uh, william h macy was weirdly nominated for an emmy for outstanding guest star for this episode okay like he was good i don't think he was emmy good and he didn't win you know, like I, I definitely I agree with everything Lauren said. Pretty much, we're we're moving in the right direction for sure. I'm still waiting for that like heart pounding, like we have hit the ground running kind of episode to to really put the stamp on season three. Granted, we're only two episodes in, but I, I like this one better than episode one for sure. See, whereas I'm like I like episode one a little bit more, but I mean it's not it's like a it's like a one and a one a for me. You know, it's not like oh my god I hate either one of these. So yeah. We're off to a good start here. That's the most important part. All right. Well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you by our patrons over at patreon.com slash the tone podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite dust clerk, Jerry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll watch and t- or we'll talk about... Uh, whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment as well as lo- monthly movie commentaries where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an er cast member we would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts we are at set the tone er on twitter we are on facebook at facebook.com slash saying the tone podcast and we are at saying the tone podcast on instagram our theme music today is provided to us by andrew edwards of blue police box music and daniel where can folks find you at they can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter, um, live tweeting my second playthrough through Bloodborne at Lobob92345. Only your second? Yeah. That's only your second playthrough? Yeah. Don't you have like four characters on there? Two. I could have sworn it was more, but... No, it's only two. It's Noodles and Lo- and Ashtar. <laughs> nice. That's nice. Noodles with a Z. Of course. Why, why would it be spelled any, any differently? Point is, only my this will only be my second time beating the game. Huh. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at RandomGamer. That's G-A-M-3-R. As well as on the Popular Court's YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect Andromeda. New episodes of that are out every Friday. Uh, when I am also doing a co-op series with Jake Terrell of uh, the Popular Court. We're doing. We're going through all the Halo games, uh, the ones that are on the Master Chief Collection for the PC. So you can check the check out those videos and more at youtube.com/thepopularcourt. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week.